This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, good morning, everybody. We're so glad that you could be with us today. I am excited to have one of my absolute favorite people on the planet, Dr. Rick Rigsby, with us today. Dr. Rick, we've had the privilege of doing some life and ministry together over the years, and uh, I just have to tell you, you're one of my favorite people, one of my heroes in the faith. We're so honored that you could be with us today, and we know there's a lot of people pulling on you right now, but um, thank you for joining us, man. I love you, and that said, I know there are many out there that have probably seen your now-watched commencement speech, over 300 million people, if I'm not mistaken, which is uh, just amazing. You're obviously a, a sought-after motivational speaker and a best-selling author, and I mean, man, what, what don't you do? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we're so glad to have you with us today, and, and we know that there will be many watching, uh, not only today, but throughout this week as this is rebroadcast uh, all over the internet. So thank you for, for being with us today, man. It means a lot to us. Pastor Jason, I am so honored to be with you. You know how much I love you. I love you and your your family, those precious kids. We miss you so much in Texas, but you're doing great work at Courageous, and uh, you are one of my favorite people. You know, it's funny. If, if you're fortunate in life, you'll meet somebody, and if there's a connection on one level, that's a good thing. But you and I have a connection on so many different levels. Of course, the greatest one is our, our love for the Lord. But so many other levels. We, we talk movies, we talk culture, we talk Southern California cuisine. And you know, the thing I love is every time I, I'm with you, I'm, I'm really challenged on, on a spiritual level to be better. I, I'm challenged on an intellectual level to think deeper. I'm challenged on a relational level to be more, more loving. And uh, you don't find that in a lot of people. And, and you know, I, I affectionately refer to you as my little brother, and I, I really <laughs> miss my little brother. And I'm so glad to be with you uh, on this platform today. Yeah, thank you. And don't forget, we share a real affinity and love for probably one of the greatest things on the earth, and that is the San Francisco 49ers. Come on with your come on, baby. <laughs> exactly. I thought about wearing my 49ers hat today, but, you know, I didn't want to frustrate all of our Dallas Cowboys fans out there, you know. Jason, do you remember that prior to the Super Bowl, you and I had already established the post-game party, uh, only to go radio silent after the game was over? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I'm still recovering from uh, from last year, let me tell you. <laughs> well, I am so thankful that you have been able to come on today, and uh, I know that there's a lot that we want to discuss. There's a lot going on right now in our nation, in our world. Um, there's a lot of voices out there speaking into what's happening all around us, and you know, obviously as people of character and integrity, and of course, uh, those that love the Word of God, we want to hear God's voice. We want to know what God has to say uh, to us as the church, as the people of God, and we believe that there are things that He actually wants to say to us directly about what's going on, and I just felt like it would be amazing for us just to take some time today to just really get into this conversation we're calling this conversation about race and faith in America and the church. And traditionally, though, the church has always had a voice 
into what's going on in our world socially. And I think that more now than ever before, it's really important for people like ourselves and especially you, those that have been given this platform to speak into it, um, can really articulate the things of God and, and the heart of God for people. And so I'm really thankful that we can do this today. You know, we have some, some questions that I'd, I'd love to just kind of engage with you on. Sure. And I'm hoping and believing that your perspective will not only help people, but bring healing to the hearts of those out there that are maybe just struggling or, or frustrated or wrestling with what to do and, and, and what to say right now. And I know there are many kind of caught in that gap of not knowing what to do and what to say. And obviously, you know, we just came out of this coronavirus shutdown. And with that, you know, the attention on COVID-19, there's a lot of people that are coming out of that and, and feeling pent up and, and have been inside for three months. I don't know about you, brother. I mean, we've been kind of on lockdown for a few months up here, and I don't know how you've, how you've weathered that storm, but I just feel like what an opportunity for us to, to really land on our feet and come out speaking boldly into things that, that God wants to address right now. Amen. Amen. So as a believer and uh, as a black man living in the United States today, I'd love to hear just some of your perspective on really what's going on right now. Thank you. Well, like everyone, I, I was horrified by the pictures that came out of Minneapolis, Minnesota uh, last week. And if that wasn't bad enough, although I, I, I understand the, loot, the looting and the rioting and what, what the justification may have been for it, I was outraged to see the burning of buildings, the devastation yeah. of property. And uh, to answer your question very specifically, uh, it, it is a cry for justice, but the cry for justice isn't coming. It's not coming from the people. It's coming from Almighty God. I mean, think about this for a moment. We're in the middle of a global pandemic that is the second news story of the evening right. because America is under siege and in chaos. Now, if we can't hear from Almighty God at a time like this, God help us. Yeah. And, and I, I think Tony Evans said it best last week, Pastor Tony Evans, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship, when, when he said a spiritual pandemic has created a cultural pandemic. Mm -hmm. As a black man, I, I am deeply saddened, but far more important than being a black man. As a child of God, I am grieved. Because once again, here's a great, great injustice that's been done, and it continues, and it continues to perpetuate. And we continue to offer Band-Aids and lip service and window dressing and room service. And I think we're missing the bigger picture. The bigger picture is this is a clarion call from Almighty God asking us to wake up because racism is a sin that pierces his heart. And what do we do? We play sin scoreboard. Your sin is more significant than my sin. And racism is in a sin, or sexism is in a sin. And I believe what is needed right now is for Christians to take advantage of the moment. I believe it's important for us to realize that the systems of the world have shut down, and that there is total chaos, and that God speaks, let me rephrase that, 
We tend to listen much more clearly in a time of uncertainty. But it's in that time of uncertainty uh, that bears the potential for great things to happen. And I believe that God is calling upon us to say, if we will just follow the tenets of the Bible, we won't maybe wipe out racism, but we can put a major dent into racism. As, a, as an African-American, as a black man, I, I am grieved. I am sick to my stomach. Though that, that could have been my brother. Uh, the Trayvons and Michael Browns could have been my children. I happen to have a, a daughter-in-law. I have four sons, as you know. One of my daughter-in-laws is white. And over the last week, I'm trying to explain to multi-ethnic grandchildren that we still have to love that we still have to go forward. And yet there's fear in my heart. There, there just is fear in my heart. I, I, I really believe that I am horrified as a black man. But more importantly, as a child of God, I'm really grief stricken because I, I can feel God saying, oh, my people, if you're called by my name, just humble yourselves right now. Pray and seek my face. And I believe that all of the systems of the world have stopped for us to do exactly that, Pastor Jason. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, Jesus said, you know, this new commandment I give to you that you would love one another. Yes. And I think right now, more than anything, we need that. We need the church to, to get back to what Jesus said to do, which was to love each other. You know, he said, yeah. no greater love than this than for a man to lay down his life for his friends. Yeah, and, you're, and, you're, and then to, and then he takes it even further. He says, you know, bless those that persecute you. You know, do good to those that hate you. Love your enemies. I mean, do things to people that you perceive to be different than you. And I think right now, you know, in this nation right now, we have a perception problem. We have a, a way of looking at life through a particular lens. And COVID nineteen has kind of come along and, and sort of shattered that lens. And then with the the uprising and the eruption of people's passion toward what's happening in our streets and all across our nation. Uh, we're seeing people's lenses uh, really explode. And I think it's a good thing. You know, I know, I know there's always pain attached to when paradigms shift or when change comes because we tend to want to hold on to what was or what we thought was. And right now it just seems like this has been a reset for, for revival, for God to just reawaken our hearts, uh, to hear from him, to, to hear from each other, to love one another. I'm actually really hopeful and really excited beyond just optimism. I'm really biblically and, and spiritually excited and hopeful that what's going to come from this is going to be a, an awakening of people's hearts to hear not only the voice of God again, but to, to break down barriers and walls that used to stand there. And so I'm really thankful that even in the midst of this crisis, that God is going to use it together with all things for his good. I am too. I totally agree with you. I've been reading Isaiah throughout the pandemic. What an amazing parallel to our modern day. Uh, and then think about the fact that the book was written 2,700 years ago, yeah, 700 right. years before the birth of Christ. And I just happen to be in uh, around chapters 47 and 48 right now. And in chapters 47, Isaiah is talking about the rebellion and the arrogance. And then in the very next chapter, chapter 48, he says, for the Lord God proclaims, I do a new thing. Yes. And you're right. I think it's in those uneven seasons of life. 
I think it's in times of uncertainty that the greatest inside of us can actually shine. You know, during times of certainty, everything is very predictable. You have redundancy, right? And, and that's good. Uh, especially if you're an airline pilot or <laughs> a surgeon. And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, contradicting uh, in any way or demeaning predictability and redundancy, but it's in times of uncertainty that tremendous spiritual growth can occur. And you, you, you mentioned earlier, you, you, you talked about the greatest commandment in the Bible. I'll tell you a quick story. It's in the 1970s. I'm a, I'm a brand new Christian, and I happen to be a young television reporter in Northern California, in Chico. And I'm spending a lot of time uh, on the road. And that means that I'm listening to uh, Christian radio to feed my, my new spirit, right? And so I'm listening to, to Charles Stanley, and I'm listening to Chuck Swindoll. And then I'm listening to a guy that I consider to be the most boring preacher in the world, Chuck Smith. And the word from today, from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, not one illustration, not very few stories, no music. But interestingly, I found myself listening, yet I'm complaining about how boring he is. Fast forward 40 years. The, the, the bottom line to this sorry, sad tale is this. What if we preached the word of God? What if we had the courage to live out the simple word of God? Yeah. Illustrations are beautiful. Stories are lovely. But we're living in an era, and I, my story is a microcosm of what I'm saying. We would rather be entertained and challenged by the word of God. Uh, the word of God is very clear. The word of God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Yeah. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Later, what does it say? You already quoted it, Pastor, that we ought love our, our brother. We ought favor our brother, that yeah. we're to love our brother more than ourselves, and Jesus ratifies it in the New Testament. What would happen if we just simply preached the very thing that used to bore me? That's what we need. Wow. I need to preach the word of God. People need to live the word. Can you imagine, brother, all the labels that would shed? Can you yeah. imagine? You know, when we get to heaven, Jesus is not going to ask us if we were on the right or on the left. Come on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> He's going to ask us if we loved our brother more than ourselves. It, right now, America, I don't think we can answer that question in the affirmative. And yeah. so... What a great opportunity. What a marvelous moment in time to reset spiritually. Wouldn't it be great, Pastor Jason, if this time wasn't just known for a pandemic or not just known for racial strife, but known for Christians returning back to our spiritual foundation? Because I'll be honest with you, the church right now, we're on the front porch of this great country. And people are looking at us, and they're asking questions, and they want significant answers, folks that would have never looked toward the church before. And they're watching everything we do, and they're listening to everything we say. We just have to make sure that our behavior doesn't get in the way of our beliefs. Yeah. Well, amen to that. I know we have a lot of work uh, to be done on that front, which kind of brings me to my next question today. You know, if you could pinpoint different areas within the church that really need to change in regards to how 
we approach, uh, you know, conversations of race and, and even like reconciliation. You know, yeah. Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter five that that we have been committed this message and ministry of reconciliation. And I'm not always sure that we do a great job with it, but what what would be some of the areas that we could pinpoint that really need to change in regards to how we approach race and reconciliation? That's a, that's a great question. I think we need to model uh, the New Testament. Jesus didn't just talk, but he modeled the behavior he wanted replica, replicated. So the simple biblical principle, that which you emulate will be that which you replicate. But we've kind of only used half the equation. So we do great talking about diversity, but even in our narrative, it is very linear and it is very limited. Mm. Uh, I think that a church flourishes when there is a diversity of opinions. You and I used to love to have healthy debate. There's nothing wrong with dissension. Dissension advances citizenship. Dissension opens up the opportunities for new thinking and new thoughts and new ideas. And so oftentimes dialogue in the church is stuck within the confines of four walls. Meaning if you don't agree with me, I'm not going to go to lunch with you. If you don't agree with me, I'm not going to put you on this board. If you don't agree with me, you you really have no place uh, in, 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 in our church. And so I think the very first thing we can do that would work toward inclusion and work and go beyond simple talking is, is to have a mindset that clearly understands what, what diversity, what true diversity is all about. We have to replicate uh, the, the, the teachings of Christ. And then a second thing, think about this. Most churches that you, where you and I have worked, we're always going and looking for leaders. And isn't it interesting? You can't find them when you look for them. Wow. You have to develop people around you. Now, there's a cost to that, right? And, and, and you pay a price for that. We all, we all know that. But there's diversity all around you. I'm, I'm looking at my own life. This is what the tendency is. The tendency is, okay, I'm going to develop that person, and as soon as they make a mistake, I'm done with them. That's not New Testament. Jesus took the ones that didn't fit, didn't matter, didn't pass the SAT, didn't have parents paying them to get in the USC. Jesus took all of those folks and just kept investing, investing, investing. Look at the diversity. Look at the diversity. on. You know, you don't go out and buy diversity. You develop diversity. You model diversity. And now those would be the two messages that I would encourage the church to think about. That's good. What I'm hearing you say is that we need to be prepared to risk something. I'm hearing yes. vulnerability. I'm hearing that we need to be uh, risk takers that are willing to invest in others, knowing that they might make mistakes along the way. And uh, I think it was John Wimber who said, you know, I spell faith R-I-S-K. Mm. I think without risk, we're not going to get anywhere. And yeah. for some of us, we've just kind of been hiding out behind the safe, you know, the safety of our of our tribes and the people that talk like us and think like us and act like us. And, and that can be a really dangerous thing. You know, we know as sociologists, you know, talk about group think is a real problem. And, and especially within this nation, when you have platforms like social media, where you can go find somebody that is essentially an echo chamber to all the things that you want to say and or hear and or know. But when you get around people that, that have diversity of thought and, and opinions and, and interpretations of the word even, I think that's where we really grow. I think that's where, where iron sharpens iron. 
And I think a lot of times as leaders, the temptation is to seek out uniformity when what we're called to seek out is unity. Yes. And uh, maybe speak into that. What's the difference between maybe unity and versus uniformity within the church? Yeah. Well, that, that, that's very good. I think uniformity speaks to tribalism, and tribalism uh, retards. It, it really, really uh, doesn't advance you in, in terms of developing the kind of heart that God wants us to have. Uh, I, I, I really think that unity is completely different. I believe that unity involves being centered uh, in one accord and, and aimed toward one objective. May I dare say this? I, I don't think the church, and in, in you and I have both been to seminary and studied church history. I don't recall when the church has been completely united. There was a brief moment uh, during the civil rights movement, believe it or not, mm-hmm. when it was referred to as the black church. We know there's no color distinction, but for the sake of this conversation, the black church was the moral compass. And, 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 and every time disunity would creep in and tribalism would want to overtake, uh, the, the moral compass kept the movement moving forward, at least from 55 with the Montgomery bus boycott wow. to the death of Martin King in 68. After Martin King, tribalism began to occur mm. in multiple different forms. Why? Because there was a lack of leadership pointing toward one fixed heading on the horizon. That fixed heading on the horizon was Jesus Christ. And, and, and I think that what happens is we become very comfortable in our tribalism. The Bible speaks to that. The Bible says that, that the traditions of men uh, result in the word of God being of no effect. And, and I think that the distinction between uniformity and unity is a very important one. And it's an opportunity right now for us to shift from uniformity, from comfort, from, from maintaining our space, from being comfortable in our zone, to, 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 to entertaining new ways of doing things and, and pivoting. That's the real fancy word right now. Yeah. To really stretching and growing. Now think about this. God, from Genesis to Revelation, is a moving God. He is not a static God. Yeah. He is a moving God. Yet, churches don't tend to follow that. (laughs) (laughs) How ironic. Leaders don't follow that because we get comfortable. I love comfort. You know, uh, you knew me before the 300 million views. Yeah, I would just as soon have forty or fifty engagements working on my golf game, and, and I almost <laughs> I, I almost died being comfortable, and right. that might be a microcosmic look uh, for the um, um, a microcosm, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, of the church. That that that's why you you're right, Pastor Jason. This time is so significant because it's shaking everything that we've grown accustomed that allows comfort to literally. Uh, sit in our pews, and we we can't we can't think the same way. We yeah. cannot act the same way. We we just simply cannot. And you know the the real message here to me is you talk about tribalism and tradition. I, I want to say it again. It's not about Republican or Democrat. You know what the good thing about the last ten days has been? This is not a black issue. It's not. It's not, it's not a police issue. I understand, believe me, I've lived with race relations my whole life. I've seen the horrific scenes just like all of you folks have. 
It's not a police issue. It's not a pro. This is a moral offense against God that has never been dealt with. And, and I think that more people are coming to that conclusion. Now the critical question is, do something about it. And one of the things we can do is resist uniformity. There was nothing un- that spoke uh, uniformity about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, if you don't believe me, spend two and a half hours today, folks, and do what Pastor Jason and I, I have done hundreds of times, and that's read the book of Mark. Yeah. The whole theme of the book of Mark is Jesus comes to smack uniformity right in the face. There is nothing about our Jesus that is uniformity, but everything about him, from the woman at the well to the washing of the feet, speaks of unity dwelling together. That's why I believe right now, Pastor Jason, the God of the universe is saying something very simple to his people. I am the Lord God Almighty. I have need for nothing. All I have ever desired is to dwell with my people. Unity. Amen. Amen. You know, that was the the prayer that was on Jesus's heart right before he went to the cross. You know, Father, that you would make them one as you and I are one. Yeah. Those were the things that he was thinking about as he was about to suffer probably one of the worst deaths you could ever suffer. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously the word excruciating coming from, from the word, you know, to die on that cross, that was how painful it was. And yeah. yet in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his passion, he had us on his heart and he had the unity of his people and of his church and of the world on his heart. Yeah. What do you think about this quote? I've often heard read before. If you don't learn from history, you're likely to repeat it. Do you think from your perspective, and I know you've been a professor, you taught at Texas A&M uh, for many years. But do you think that we've adequately learned from our nation's history? And if not, what key lessons do we still need to learn? Boy, that's a great question. I wish we had an hour-long program. Let me, <laughs> right. let me reduce it to just one minute. The answer is no, we, we haven't. And the reason why I think is because it's, it's probably too painful and, it, it, and it's too costly in a shallow, superficial society where all we have to do is push a button and get instant information. I, I have to remind myself daily that pushing a button and accessing information quickly is not anal- analogous to breadth and depth. Wow. Therein is one of the major issues. But that's a different topic for a different time. I don't think my generation, I'm 64, I don't think my generation did as good a job as we could have in in passing on the history of protest movements in the 20th century as they relate to the suffrage movement. You know, here we here we have an amendment to the Constitution guaranteeing women the right to vote. And then we have to have a suffrage movement Uh, to uh, here we are in uh, 1954 overturning. Plessy versus Ferguson, which guaranteed separate but equal facilities, but according to the Supreme Court, with all deliberate speed. And then we have to have years and years and years of protests and redress. You know, I, I have to take some responsibility for that. Uh, I, I did not communicate as well as I could have that the First Amendment has Article 10 and Article 11. Mm-hmm. Article 10 is, is the right for free expression. Article 11... Uh, it guarantees us uh, peaceful assembly when we protest, peaceful assembly. And I, I don't think that generation that I'm watching protests, even though I can understand how frustration boils over, let me make that very clear. Yeah. I can understand that. 
Somebody asked me once in a civil rights class, Dr. Rigsby, when did the Watts riots of the 60s began? And I told him 1619. So wow. I can understand how, how, how the, the pot of frustration simmers. I really can. But those, those folks, energetic, young, and pragmatic, there's no, there's no target. There, there's, no, there's no direction. There's a motivation for the protest, but there's no direction for the protest. And so we, my generation, I wonder if we've not done a good enough job sharing orally history to that generation coming up. Just like in the African-American community, we make sure we share recipes, right? We make sure we share experiences. We make sure that that, that oral tradition is very rich in the African-American community. Mm. I can tell you, that we haven't done that good a job sharing that history. And so I'm not sure that folks know uh, that, that, that we, you know, they know that we have the right to protest, but do they know we have the right to peacefully protest and that we don't have the right to burn down buildings, no matter how, how much uh, rage we have? We don't have that right. And so, yes, we can look at them and we can say, would you look at those folks? And would you, boy, Lord, examine my heart. Yeah. Oh, wicked man that I, I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? What is my responsibility in this? And, and so I wonder how many people could quote Martin Luther King, who, who said on one occasion, we'll, we'll either learn how to live together as brothers and sisters or we'll perish together as fools. I wonder how many of the protesters would say, you know what, we can't just look at the looting and the rioting. King said this, but we have to look at the reasons behind the looting and the rioting. I wonder how many people would talk about uh, some of the economic issues that we've swept under the rug that we don't talk about. And here's why God has to change our hearts. We have some folks saying, why do you always play the race card? And then we have other folks saying, you'll never understand us because you're not black. Well, let's throw both of those extremes to the side. You know, in graduate school, they teach you, as you know, how to take two juxtapositions, bring them together, and there will form the answer. And the answer is J-E-S-U-S. What, what am I saying? The answer is you have valid points on both sides, but at some point, the council at Jerusalem had to come up with the notion that we ought reason together yeah. and that, and that something has to replace our frustration. It doesn't matter what our label is. Something has to replace our frustration. Look at the fifties and sixties. What replaced the frustration? It was King's forward momentum pointing toward quote, the beloved community end quote. That's really important. In, in my PhD dissertation focused on Birmingham in 1963 through the eyes of television news as a critical turning point of the civil rights movement. I talked to so many protesters, Pastor Jason, former protesters, and they all were sharing the same thing, that after getting beat up and bombed and ridiculed and spat upon uh, with broken bones and fractures and bruised skin and cuts, they would, they would say, I'm never going to go to another sit-in again, never going to ride another bus wow. to, 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 to protest the segregation, but I'm not going to participate anymore. They would go into a mass meeting. And this is what I studied, the mass meetings. The fact that the rhetoric produced by those mass meetings is not part of the academic legacy in communication 
represents a curious footnote. Inside those mass meetings, there was something so powerful that those very same protesters who went in saying, I'll never march again, came out saying, where's the next protest? And I believe it was the focal point, cease from being me and my labels and my political persuasion and who I voted for and what I'm losing and how dare you act that way to, Father, it's all about you. It, it is all about reconciliation, genuine reconciliation. That's why King said on one occasion, if we're wrong, the Supreme Court is wrong. If we're wrong, the Constitution of the United States is wrong. If we're wrong, God Almighty is wrong. And mm -hmm. so to answer your question in one sentence, we have not taught history properly, and it has caused us to repeat history often, the mistakes often. In Dallas, this, the school system, I'm not, I'm not blaming teachers. It's the people in leadership in the school system. They, they've been cutting civil rights left and right. Wow. Here's my concern. It's not black history. It's American history. Yeah. Right? And Great. so, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, that kind of brings us to the, the point that I want to talk about next, which is really uh, reconciling our own hearts. Um, what do we do with with our responsibility, uh, personal responsibility. We've kind of butted up against this a little bit and what you're talking about here. Um, many people believe that even the word repentance is merely just you know, apologizing or saying you're sorry. But my understanding of the word repentance is that it, it brings about a, a full change of mind and a full change of perspective on how we actually live, on what behaviors we now model and actualize. And what do you say to that person out there that maybe is watching today that doesn't feel personally, quote unquote, responsible for what's going on right now? And what does true repentance actually require of us? Yeah. First of all, I, I, I can't condemn that person that feels that way, and nor will I judge them. But instead, I will just share with you um, my experience over the last 10 days. It's been getting on, on my knees. And, and, and it's been saying, Father, may the change start with me. My dad was a wise man, wisest man I ever met. And he's been gone 25 years, but I've been talking to him a lot lately. And in my heart, this is what I'm hearing him say with that, that simple yet profound wisdom. Ricky, before you will see change out there, you have to have change in here. And I, I'm, a, I'm a business speaker. I speak to the top companies of the world. I teach all the time that transformation begins inside. See, I, th I think our greatest problem is not, is not without. Our greatest problem is within. And so to the people that say, hey, listen, it's not my responsibility, or I, as I've talked to some of them this week, I, I don't feel a need uh, to, to, to repent for sins that, that I didn't create. This is what I would say. Let's push everything off the table except one question. Is racism a grievance before a mighty God? Does it pierce God's heart? If the answer is yes, we need to get on our knees. You know, R.A. Torrey said something once that just sticks with me. He says, if you really want revival, Go home. Wow. Get on your knees. 
draw a circle around yourself and begin the revival with the person inside the circle. And so what I'm really saying is over the past 10 days, Pastor Jason, I, I have had to humble myself. I've had to ask the Lord to search my heart. I've had to ask the Lord, is there a wickedness in me? Is there prejudice in me? It, it, it's, it's not about how I think I am. It's about how do you see me, Lord? Very important distinction. It's not about I don't feel the need to. It's about, oh, dear God, cleanse me. Help me. Help me to realize that this isn't a black issue. This isn't a yeah. white issue. This isn't a protest issue. This isn't a police issue. The vast majority of police are great folks doing great work. I travel with an African-American man who happens to be a sergeant in the police department. You know him. And he, he, he loves to tell people good cops hate bad cops, too. Wow. This isn't a police issue. This is a human issue. It is a moral issue. And we are the legitimate moral agents of Christ Almighty on the earth, which means we have a responsibility to humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Then, that's a very important word in Second Chronicles 7.14. Mm-hmm. Then, it's conditional. Then. And so I, I really believe, Pastor Jason, uh, even if a person is saying, I don't feel the need to repent or take this on to be uh, my problem, I, I would say, with all due respect, well, John Stott said it, the, the, the very, very most significant, worst enemy in your life is your pride. Let me change that. Let me change that pronoun. Our very most significant enemy in our lives is our pride. Our, 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 our very best friend is our brokenness. Mm, that's that, really good. That was modeled by Jesus. If you are saying, I don't feel the need to take this on, I'm not going to condemn you at all. But I am going to say, take a moment and look at the bigger picture, a bigger picture that is framed by the Holy One of Israel saying sin is sin, and this sin is egregious, and that we are all human beings and every one of us is affected by it. You, you know, that particular argument that are advanced, it's advanced by those folks, the, analog, the, the, the analogous argument would be, well, cancer hasn't affected my home, and so I'm not going to grieve for cancer. But yet, while it hasn't affected your home, it may have affected homes all around you and people that you know. This is a threat to democracy everywhere. This is a threat to justice everywhere. This is a threat to human rights everywhere. And I really believe with all my heart, this is a great opportunity for us to perhaps adjust our thinking. And I'm talking about good folks. I'm talking about folks sincere in their faith. I've had so many friends who I love and I respect and I trust. And they've told me, they've said, Rick, I, I just don't see a need to, to ask forgiveness for something that's not my fault. And I've said to them, just, I, I hear what you're saying and I respect your opinion, but just look at it from God's perspective just for a moment, just for a yeah. moment, just look at it from God's perspective. Yeah. That's what I would say, Pastor Jason, in love. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. that's really good. And, and by the way, 
we're not to condemn those people. And I'm talking to all those out there in the audience that would want to, we're not to condemn them. Paul said, let the goal of our instruction be love. You know what I love about that generation before us? My father would sit on the porch and argue vehemently with the neighbor. And then at the end of the hour, they'd get up and shake hands. Today, if you don't like who I voted for, I might shoot you. Wow. Goal of our instruction be love. That's it. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that kind of answers my next question. But I know right now we're living in times that are very, you know, polarized and and very politicized. Um, how do we how do we navigate that? I mean, what are some maybe some key nuggets? I mean, you've already given us so much wisdom on that, but what do we do with people that think differently than us? Um, yeah. How do we have those kind of conversations? What what are some ways that we can have conversations with people that are different than us? I try to be uh, slow to speak, quick to listen. I have found that. Um, with my conservative friends, as well as with my liberal friends, there's tension. I mean, there is just tension all across the board. Here's a nugget that I try to practice, Pastor Jason. We don't have to think alike, but we need to think together. And I don't know if there's a takeaway that's more significant right now to help us navigate through the tension. You know what's missing in our society? Respect, civility. Yeah. Can I tell you a quick story? Yes, please. I, you, you may know this because we talk a lot, but um, back in uh, December, I believe it was, the Fox, uh, the Fox television show Making Money with Charles Payne uh, had me on as a guest, and it was really interesting. I fly all the way to New York from Dallas, and here's the topic. It was December 18th, Wednesday, December 18th. Your viewers can look it up in the archives. We had a uh, a diehard liberal and a diehard conservative sitting at, uh, in a, at, at, a, at a mock Christmas table. And the, and the whole theme of the show was how can we have Christmas dinner without killing each other? And I was called in to navigate between the tensions. <laughs> and I said, have we forgotten the lessons of our parents? Yeah. Have, have, we, for, have we forgotten uh, about civility? Have we forgotten about common sense? Well, guess what? Civility and common sense will not reign in a society that doesn't respect one another. You think Jesus was on to something when he talked about loving, you know, your friend, loving your enemy, forgiving people? How about this? How about just listening? How about just listening? One of the most powerful moments in the last 10 days hasn't come from anything I said. It came from watching this man by the name of Rich Wilkerson, who pastors Trinity Church in New York. And in between sobs and tears, he simply said, we need to listen. You know, think about an argument that you're having with your significant other. And we're listening to every fifth word because that's the time we need to construct our rhetorical. <laughs> that's right. Come on, somebody. Yeah. And I don't know about y'all, but I'm lacing up the boxing gloves and I'm getting ready to punch. And the last thing, now here I am, four degrees, three in communication. But the, I can quote everybody in terms, you know, it was Cicero, a man who made money speaking, saying the greatest of all communicative arts is listening. But not me, baby, because I got to win this argument. I have to win this argument. And so what do I do? 
I reduce listening to tiny morsels because it's very important that you know my point. And by the way, that point is, is not advocated in love, but I'm going to make you feel the sting of the pain that I believe that you've inflicted. Wow. There's a miracle right there, man. Yeah. There's a miracle right there. And by the way, everything that I just said counters the word of God. Oh, Jason. Help us. Brother Jason, you know, I, you know may, may we continue to work toward a day where we will be Chuck Smiths. I can't even believe I'm saying that. <laughs> <laughs> and God bless Chuck. And may you rest in peace. But may we just preach and model the word That's of it. God. So good. Yeah. Well, you've got kids. I've got kids. You've got grandkids. I don't have those yet. But what would be your hope for them, you know, in the days to come? Oh, buddy. You're going to make me cry now, Jason. It's all good. 60 years ago, Martin King said that he would love a day when little white kids and little black kids play together and pray together, live together. My, one of my granddaughters just turned nine, four or five days ago. So we go over to her house for a birthday party and they're asking questions. And I'm looking at their innocent faces. Children didn't ask to be born into this. You're not born filled with hate. You learn hate. I want to do everything that I can to invest in my grandchildren, to be agents of hope, to be beacons of love. And the only way that that will happen in a racially torn world is on our knees. Ricky, yes, Daddy, before you can expect change out there, I'm sorry. It's good. You know, I thought it would happen in my lifetime, Jason, and I pray it still does. But Pastor, we've got to invest now in this next generation, and we have got to help them see through the Word of God that we're called to be mighty oaks of righteousness that we're called to be our brother's keeper, that we're called to love yes. one another, yes. that we're called to offer people different from us water. We're not called to feel special or, or superior because of our race. We're not called to do that. We're not called to point fingers in the mock and the ridicule. Let the justice system offer justice, but let us repent for the wickedness in us that we may be so transformed that there's a possibility that our neighborhood will be transformed Come on, because man. of the one that lives in that neighborhood that models Jesus. You know, this, this is what I'm saying, brother. Uh, you know, the Bible says the word became flesh and blood and dwelt among us. I love the way that Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. The, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And I would tell the young people of every color, move into your neighborhood, not so much with your agenda, but with God's heart. That's good. Well, the last question I want to end with today, and I'm just so thankful that we've been able to take some time to be together and to address these questions that I know many people have. But if Jesus were to move into our neighborhoods right now, 
what do you think he would say to us? He would be so, so grieved because I, I really believe that as, as I have been on my knees, as I have been seeking the Lord, uh, I have found how distracted. Here I am, a pastor, motivation, you know. I have been so distracted and so busy with life and, and so running here and running there that I am a perfect candidate for this outcome-oriented, fast-paced lifestyle that really fuels tribalism and labels and shortcuts. And I think it would just grieve Jesus because I can come up with a list of justifications for my behavior. And in turn, I hear the Savior saying, be still. Mm. Just be still. Try my yoke. Be still. Renew your mind in my word. Let the word richly dwell inside of you. Pastor Jason, I, I got to confess something to you. And only an idiot would confess it on a, in a public way. I've been preaching for 30 some years. It has taken a pandemic and chaos in the United States to get me to stop and to be still. And I think what Jesus would say is let go of all your preconceived notions. Wow. For behold, I do a new thing. Sad. But you, you will miss the discovery of that new thing if you're holding on your preconceived notions. You know, everybody can quote the famous passage in Isaiah 45, but are, are, we, are we willing to, to go to that secret place so that we can find those treasures? We're not if we're just going like this. Yeah. And I, I, I just hear the Savior saying, I know this isn't the most theological answer, but mm. in my life, he's just saying, I am so grieved. Mm. Be still, my son. Listen to my voice. Do what I tell you to do. Most of all, right now, love them. Don't judge them. Love them. You know, Jason, I just conclude by saying this. When, when, when we get to heaven, I, I'm not so sure that God is going to be really convinced with all we've done, but I think he would like to know what we've become. Mm. What have we become? And, and um, I, I'm not real happy with some of the ways that I have become. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So what, I, what, I'm, what I'm arguing for myself is a, a revival, not the kind of revivals that we have had. Oh, no, no. I'm talking about one circle and me and God. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm right there with you, brother. I'm in yeah. that same place. I feel like the Lord is saying the same thing. It's time to slow down and be still and to have your, your heart renewed in him. You know, Jesus says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you know, you will produce much fruit. You will abound in fruitfulness. Yeah. And uh, if my words abide in you, you can even ask whatever you want and it'll be given to you. And I just, I thought a lot about that lately, you know, especially because we've just been on quarantine, you know, I feel like I've been forced to slow down and stop, but I just, I want to, I want to see that transformation in my own heart and my own life and my own kids and our own world and our churches. And I think as Westerners, you know, as Americans, we are so committed to the grind and so committed to producing and to working and, 
and we're thankful for that ethic. But I also know that sometimes it gets in the way of what Jesus wants to do in us. And so I'm right there with you, brother. And uh, I'm just so thankful that we could do this today. It has been such a joy and a blessing to listen and to learn from you. I know there are probably thousands that will be watching this. I also want to encourage all of you out there today, those of you watching this, to subscribe to Dr. Rick's new podcast, How You Living. Come on. I love that title. And uh, any final thoughts um, or comments that you, you might want to leave with us before we sign off? And I'd also like you just to pray for everybody before we end sure. today, if you could. The, the, t- the title, How You Living, comes from uh, uh, the, the, some of the final words of m- my first wife before she died after a six-year battle with breast cancer. Uh, she could barely talk, but with great clarity, she looked at me and she gave me marching orders for the rest of my life, two days before she died. She said, you know, it doesn't matter to me any longer how long I live. What matters most is how I live. I mean, she, wow. she, she was filled with faith in her God, committed to honoring her God, even in the worst circumstances of life. And that leads me to my final thought. I am realizing more than any other time in my 64 years, my privilege is to hear his voice and do what he tells me to do. And it's incumbent on me all through the day to know whose I am. It really is. Who was it, Pastor? I think it was Tozer who said, what, what comes to mind when we think of God? And whatever it is that comes to mind when we think of God is the most important thought we can have. Yeah. And so, Father, thank you for in the, a divine interruption. That's the way I'd like to say it. Thank you for a divine interruption. And while we grieve and mourn, with the loss of life all over the world. And while we hurt for the injustices that we see, and while we're devastated by the violence, the rage that we see, help us to look at your heart and how the subject of racism has pierced you, not just for the history of America, but all through time. And how once again, Father, You're calling those of us who are exiled to return. For behold, you do a new thing. And so, Father, help me, help our brothers and sisters move past political persuasion, move past denominationalism, move past tribalism, move past customs and traditions. Help all of us well-intentioned, good folk move closer to you so that we can hear your heart and that we can feel what hurts you and what grieves you. And then, Father, help us do more than just moving close to you. Help us to be courageous, to speak what you tell us to speak and to do what you tell us to do. And that's going to mean getting out of our comfort zone. It is. It's going to mean shifting. It's going to mean speaking when it's not popular and doing what is not convenient or what is not uh, perceived to be right by some. But Father, we are your legitimate moral agents on this earth. And I believe during this divine disruption, 
you are calling us. You are calling us to realize that it is a spiritual pandemic that has created a cultural pandemic, but it is an awakening in our heart that can cause the culture to shift. Yes, Lord. Father, that is my prayer for me, for my dear brother, Pastor Jason, for all that are listening today, with no malice in my heart, with no judgment in our heart, my heart. Father, I pray that the goal of my instruction be love and that we would love one another toward reconciling. And I know, I know this would bring joy to your heart. Yes. Let it begin with me in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 I've been crying for 10 days, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> sure you have to. So thankful that we could do this. Yeah. Much thanks you. to you, my brother. I love you. I miss you. And I look forward to times where we can come together again and hopefully on brighter and better days. Amen. Thank you, Jason. I miss you too. Love you and your family. Thanks for this opportunity. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.